You're listening to Halfway There, episode number 157, Ryan Louie and Embracing Your Uniqueness. Hey friends, welcome to Halfway There. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. I'm excited to bring you this conversation and my guest today. Uh, our guest is Ryan Louis. Ryan is the pastor, uh, or he's a pastor at 10th Church in Vancouver, British Columbia. I guess we'll have to talk about that. I hear it's beautiful. I want to get up there. I need to come see you. Um, he's also the author of a book called Being is Greater Than Doing and an Enneagram coach. We've been having a little fun with Enneagram here before we get started. I know that we're going to talk about that uh, here in the conversation as well. Ryan, welcome to Halfway There. Hey, Eric. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, it's an honor and it's just a fun time always talking to you. Yeah, we, we've connected at least one other time and I know that we... Uh, had a really great conversation. I'm looking forward to hearing a little more of your story and maybe digging in a little bit more into Enneagram. I, Enneagram's really popular right now. Oh my goodness. They just keep coming up and it, it gives me a little anxiety. So as a four and wanting to be <laughs> unique and special, you know, oh, this person wrote a book now and, and this person has a Instagram following of 30,000 and this person <laughs> wants to learn about it. And I'm like, oh, like everyone thinks they're an expert and I think I'm an expert and where do I fit in? Yep. Oh. It gives you anxiety. Dude, I totally get that. I'm a four also. And so that's like, everybody's podcasting. Stop it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> whatever. Uh, you have to just get over that. So anyway, well, let's talk about, we'll get into yeah. Negram, I think, I'm, I'm oh, sure. Yeah. But uh, let's talk about you. So tell us just, yeah. I gave kind of the, those few things. I love this idea of being is greater than doing. I give a few ideas about a kind of overview of what you're doing. But tell us, tell us who you are and what you're doing and where God has you now. Yeah, so um, those are a lot of big questions, but... <laughs> Short as possible, I'm a pastor right now in Vancouver, BC, Canada. I've been at the same church on staff for almost seven years. I got baptized almost exactly nine years ago, June 20th, 2010. And I finished my MA in theological studies about two years ago now. And uh, just living life and enjoying walking with people to God, uh, with God. I'm the life groups pastor. So a big thing for me is community and figuring out discipleship within community. And a big piece for me in my spiritual life, as well as ministry has been thinking about self-awareness and, um, and things like the Enneagram and personality and how God has just made us unique mm. for a reason and my life verse has been Ephesians 2.10, uh, you know, where yeah. God's masterpiece creating Christ Jesus to do good works. And that has always been good news. Like that's gospel. Like God has created me unique for purpose. And I think everybody needs to hear that. And so I'm just trying to figure out how to help people not just know that intellectually, but to live that out. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Because... Uh, it can be hard if you don't have purpose, right? And sometimes um, I think even saying to people, hey, purpose, 
you don't have to be a pastor, right? You don't have to be oh, no. a missionary or some sort of professional Christian in order to have purpose and to find the purpose God has for you. That's a huge, a huge message. So, yeah, I love that. Okay. Well, t- take us back. So tell us all about uh, kind of where you grew up and how you found the Lord. Okay. Yeah. So I was born and raised in Vancouver. Same with my mom. I'm like a third generation Chinese um, person, I guess, in in Canada. And we grew up somewhat religiously in, in the church. My mom isn't a Christian, wasn't. My dad was, but uh, more nominal back then. And, and then they divorced, which was not a favorable thing in the church that Right. I grew up in. And so uh, that was about when I was eight years old. And so we just, I just kind of disappeared from it. Came back in, in, in high school. In, well, well why, why did you leave? So what, what was it that you were thinking about God? Oh, I wasn't thinking about God at all. I mean, I was eight <laughs> years old and yeah. mom couldn't even speak Chinese at this ethnic church. And so I lived with her and. So you just stopped going and God yeah. fell off your radar. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Sometimes people make decisions about God in those moments. And I, I wondered if that was you. No, not at all. You know, I, and then since then though, I always believed in God. My, I would see my dad's side every week for, for family dinner, grandparents, uncles, aunts, cousins, like 10, 12 of us every week. And we'd always pray before the meal. And, and so in grade eight, when my cousin invited me back to church, I thought, you know what? Like, this is my family's faith. We pray. I'm cool with that. Uh, Seventh Heaven, Touched by an Angel. Like, those are all good shows. Right. I thought, like, you, you know, if there's any religion that's going to be true, I feel like it's this one that, that what do I say, that can be in any culture, in any, in any country, yeah, any culture, ethnicity, and be, be relevant. And so I, I went back and after about a year, I said, hey, like, I'm a Christian. Uh, I believe in all this stuff. I receive forgiveness. I'm good. I'll finish it off because I, I, it, it can get long. But I s- stopped going in senior high just because I thought I knew everything. My dad told me, as long as you believe, that's what's most important. And I thought, oh, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> Jesus, right. like if I was the only person, Jesus would die for me. Um, like, it's about you know, going to heaven. So I'm good. Let me just focus on school now, not be a horrible person, but you know, there's no kind of goal or anything. And then about four years into the hiatus, 2010 comes along. I I find myself at a new church hearing a different message than I did before. And I read uh, two books. I'll just talk about one, but uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's Cost of Discipleship really, really wrecked me. And I felt God was saying that I either needed to stop calling myself a Christian or start living like one. And this concept of cheap grace and costly grace really hit home. And I thought, oh my goodness, like I am taking advantage of Jesus. And mm. I, I was always a proud Christian. I was like, I don't want to be that person. Like I don't want to take advantage of Jesus and his sacrifice and so i thought okay time to time to get in shape and to start living like as if jesus was lord well okay so you so you really kind of came to faith uh as a as a young man sort of 
left it again. And I'm inter- really interested in that kind of why, like, it wasn't that you didn't have faith. It was just that you decided not important. I just didn't know what faith was about. Yeah. Like looking back, I'm sure there were, everyone was, was talking about it at the pulpit and everything, but it just didn't resonate with me that, that the Christian life calls us, that Christ calls us to live a particular way. I thought it was just don't say God and Jesus as a swear word (laughs) and, you know, kind of be nice to, to, to people in general and everything else was, didn't really matter. Right. Yeah, isn't that interesting that how that uh, that sort of impression can can give us um, lead us in a in a way that maybe we don't want to go right? Oh my goodness! Yeah. yeah, like I'm I went to a great church and I have great connections with them still to this day. But however it happened, my my mind just tuned out all the other stuff, and and I thought, okay, just live my life, wait for heaven. Right. Well, that and that's the, okay. I'm going to go on a little diatribe here for a second. That's part of the danger, right? Like if all yeah. we if all we're preaching is the get out of hell free card, yeah. Uh, that whole and and I get it. I get that there's tools like the four spiritual laws and the whole like cross the cavern right. thing. Yeah, yeah. I get it. Um, and yet, if it trivializes what Christ actually came to do, it's way yeah. bigger than the atonement. It's the restoration of all things, including you, yeah. right? Amen. That's different. That's different. And it's so much more beautiful, right? Yeah. And I don't know why we don't yeah. almost talk about that more because then that's that's exciting. Like I want to be a part of the restoration of all things, like, you know, and God calls us to actually be a part of that. And, and that's part of, yeah, like I said, my gospel story or yeah. story. Um, Interesting. I actually think it's bigger than that. It's a bigger mission than even reaching every tribe and tongue. Right. hundred oh, percent. It's way bigger. Anyway, well, so we can talk about that. That's, I could go on about that forever. So, so, okay. So you, you come back, you read cost of discipleship. Yeah. What was the, you, you have to talk about what was the other book you read? Uh, it was a treasure principle by Randy Elkhorn. Oh, okay. All right. Small little book. It was just about giving, but he talked about those two parables about the people who who find the the treasure in the in the ground, and then they yeah. they sell all their stuff to buy the ground, and and then the pearl as they sell everything to get the pearl, and and both of both of those things just made really logical sense. If Jesus is the treasure, we we sell everything to to, to obtain Jesus. Like there's nothing better. And it, it just it just made, made so much sense to me. It's like, oh yeah, like wh- why am I chasing after these other things when I do intellectually believe that Jesus is the best? I don't know what that means to live like that, but I I, I do agree with that. I hear adhere to that doctrinal statement. Um, and so uh, part of Alcorn's book is about mainly giving financially. But I really interpret that as time. You know, are you going to put your time into things on earth? Or are you going to put your time in things in heaven? And he gives this little picture, which I hope the listeners can, can imagine, is just this dot and an arrow going out of it. And he says that the dot is our life on earth and the arrow is our life in heaven. And we can either invest our money and time in the dot or we can invest in the arrow. And I just thought, oh, man, I want to put it all in the arrow. 
Yeah. And, and then that just led me towards, towards Jesus and uh, kind of to where I am today. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So this inspires you and kind of spurs you to take your discipleship a little bit more seriously. Mm-hmm. Where does that take you? Yeah. Well, initially, uh, funny enough, you know, me thinking it was just get into, get into heaven. Then I started thinking my job is to get everyone in heaven. Like, Oh no, like everyone's going to hell. I got to help people get into heaven. And so, or at least get them avoiding hell. Right. And so I thought, what's well, the best way to do that? Become a pastor. Right. <laughs> right. So I started going in, in that direction, wanting to really just be on, on mission, how I understood it as evangelism primarily and, and helping people to know Jesus and to, to follow him in, in, in the, in the full depth that I think Bonhoeffer calls and Jesus calls us to. Um, but along that way, I think through, through seminary and through experience, I started realizing, okay, maybe that's not all of it, that God's mission isn't just to, to, to save souls. Um, but, to like you said, to, to redeem and to renew, um, culture and, and, and creation and, and this world and that, yeah, he's bringing heaven to earth, rather than he's going to burn it all up and, and have a redo. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So tell, so take us into some of that. I want to know, like, is, are there a few moments or stories when like either somebody you were walking with or somebody who was like a mentor to you kind of helped you understand that or uh, like moments when you, that, that you kind of started to realize in a tangible way, what that meant for you. The, the first story that really comes up, to my mind is when I was in a class with uh, Sung Chan Ra. He's the author of The Next Evangelicalism. I think he's based in Chicago. And he came as a summer lecturer uh, at our school. And I took his class and it was mainly about race and, and culture in the church and how important like the many tribes and many cultures working and living together is, is important to God. And initially I was very against that, even though I'm not part of the majority dominant culture. I thought, no, no, like, why are we talking about, you know, who, who cares who's at the top of the hierarchy in church and business? Like what's most important is people knowing Jesus. Um, if there are just, you know, all white churches, all black churches, all Asian churches, all, you know, Hispanic churches, as long as people come to faith, like we'll be together in the end. And, but that really challenged me to think about like, what is God's heart? And like, are we pursuing that now? And so one thing I think major change has just been thinking about God's heart and what the kingdom of God really mm. is. Yeah. And, and now I think I'm a lot less, polarized or convicted on on what god must have or what god really wants um and more open to to people saying hey like i think you know culture and you know there's a small we have there's a small church and it's not really growing but many cultures working together um there's a church in in portland called the village that i visited um, one time there and 
they'll have the Korean pastor, the, the pastor who oversees the Korean ministry come up and they'll let him pray in Korean. And, and although nobody else will understand except the Koreans, they go, you know what? It's, it's important for us to have people express their faith, how their culture expresses their faith. And I, and definitely five years ago, I would have thought that's ridiculous. Like, how is that helpful at all? Yeah. But now I think, wow, that's, that's beautiful. Like people giving up their preferences to understand everything and to just receive and go, this person is speaking to God on our behalf, mediating um, us with God. And, and I trust that person. And I'm just in the moment in the presence of God. And I go, okay, that's, that, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So that's quite the transformation. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's definitely been a shift. Yeah. I can tell all about the, my more conservative reform shifts to <laughs> yeah. what others may call liberal or I know I did I'm on that journey too. <laughs> I'm I'm really interested in um and I'm I'm gonna check out this book. I I put links in the show notes friends at halfway there podcast.com as always. Uh but the next evangelicalism the subtitle of that is freeing the church from Western cultural captivity. Mm. And I'm super fascinated by that idea that um we're we might be more influenced by the Enlightenment and the Reformation than we are by the Bible. That's scary, yeah. right? <laughs> like that's a little disturbing of a thought, and I have it every once in a while. But um having said that, another thing I'm interested in uh with you is these are very uh intellectual realizations that mm. you're having. But you said you're in Enneagram four, which means you're in the heart type. So yeah. tell me about like uh, tell me about how God is gets a hold of your heart and how wow. He's shaping your heart. Many many different ways. I think as an Enneagram four, prayer and imaginative prayer is really important for me. How did you discover imaginative prayer? It's it's a common thing at at our church. Mm, cool. So. I can't say that I like discovered it some way. It's just all centering prayer, contemplative, imaginative, all those uh, practices have just been embedded in, in our church um, as a norm. And so for me, it's just like, Oh yeah, like imaginative prayer. And so. Interesting. Okay. Well that comes from somebody because. Yeah. Most- our senior pastor, he, he did his uh, doctor of ministry in uh, spiritual disciplines in the monastics, particularly mm. in the Benedictine tradition. And so He's brought a lot of Catholic practices into into our church community, which has been very life giving um, for myself, definitely, and I know for other people as well. Um, and so, for me, I can give like one story that I've been thinking about. I was on a, a staff retreat, and it was early in the morning, and I went to just have my quiet time. It wasn't so quiet though because the staff there were um, making breakfast for us. And, and so I was trying to concentrate, but what I ended up hearing was God saying to me that you don't have to work because I'm always working. Um, I'm, I'm these people preparing breakfast for you, um, preparing breakfast for you in in a way. And, and that was something, and that was a moment just a couple months ago where I Mm. felt like I really experienced God um, and, and so that's kind of one way in terms of like prayer, imagination, vision. I think 
the other thing is always just reminding myself of experiencing God as I do things, as I self-express and as I live authentically, I, I live and, and act in, in the, the reality that God is pleased with me as his child. So one of the things for me that I always have to f- remember is that we're God's children and that when we play, when we mm. try new things, our, our parent, God is our, our f- heavenly father, delights in that. Um, rather than I think most of us thinking of him as this more stern adult where if you fail, that's not good or playing is not good and we have to just go through the the rat race of of life and i think god is much more generous and gracious to us um and so whenever i can just play and do things that i want that are are not like against scripture of course and yeah. and teaching but well that so that's the conversation that always comes up right the moment we ever talk about desire you know, everybody gets weirded out because they think you're going to get all sexual or something strange, right? Get, get into a sex cult or something. I get it. But like putting that aside and just acknowledging, okay, everybody's thinking that. Um, the desire is actually a thing. Like, so when you learn how to how to understand your desire and where your heart is taking you, and for us heart types, like we have to we have to do this. We've yes. not been served well by by all the heady achievers, but. Yeah. Um, can you tell I'm bitter a little, but, but, uh, anyway, you know? well, I'm, I'm just, yeah, I am. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of over it. And, and cause I've been on this journey too. Uh, but anyway, so as we learn how to, how to do the desire, I mean, that's, that's why you have to give the caveat. Right. But as we, as we figure out like, okay, I can do what I, what I want because God has given me a desire to do things like play or like children do. I mean, I watch my kids yeah. play, right. They're so imaginative. They're so creative. They're so um, like w- whatever they're playing, and it's delightful. It's fun to mm-hmm. to watch and see them play. It doesn't even mean anything. Like imagine that it doesn't even mean. It just is there. It yeah. is what it is, and it's and it's okay. And I take pleasure in that. And I think what you're saying is God takes pleasure in us. Oh yeah, in that it's, same way it's as more well. More than okay. It's 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 good. It's what we're made for. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> Blasphemy. Yeah, almost. <laughs> almost. Um, awesome. Yeah. So I love that. Okay. So you're so you're on this process of kind of discovering yourself and and kind of how God's made you to, to do oh, those yeah. things. What what's like give us one or two just like huge discoveries besides play that yeah. there are ways that God's kind of helping you to do that. I think the the main thing that started all of this was was reading uh, Peter Scazzaro's Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. I keep hearing about that book. Yeah, I need to read yeah, that. Yeah, I, I told you last time. I know. Um, particularly the course. So the difference between just reading the book and the course is that the course um, over eight weeks has a Bible study incorporated into each session and a, a bit of reflection on the scriptures that the book doesn't include. Okay. In in one of Schizero's chapters, he, he goes through David and Goliath, the story that we're all very familiar with, and talks about this this psychological term called differentiation, and that's really just living true to to yourself. And he basically says 
Skizero says, you know, David was given Saul's armor and he could wear it and fight with his sword, but he knew that if he did, Goliath, he would totally just smack him down and he'd be dead. So David decides, you know what? I've fought bears, tigers, and and, and whatever <laughs> with a slingshot, and that's all. So that's what I'm going to do. And he beats Goliath. And the the kind of the point of the Bible study is that God has made us a certain way. And if we take on other people's armor and swords, we can actually do damage to ourselves and to other people. Wow. Yeah. And so that just got me thinking like, whoa, like what if I have like taken on Saul's armor, like the, the church's armor and the church's sword and thought this is the only way to, to, to bring beauty and to, to do quote God's mission and to help people know and to follow Jesus. Um, and so that was like a, a big realization for me. And that's what got me started on the Enneagram. Ah, interesting. Wow. Like there's this tool that actually helps people objectively own who they are in terms of their beauty and their brokenness and can lead them towards Christ in, in his fullness, but also in their own uniqueness. Whereas I think generally speaking in our, in our evangelical tradition, it's, there's kind of just one way. Richard Rohr says, right. The church is really just told everyone they should be twos and so we all (laughs) become twos and just serve and don't have any desires right oh my gosh okay i'm not gonna tell you who it was but my wife was listening to a podcast yesterday last night and that was basically the message and this is somebody who i like and respect they're a national teacher you'd know her name Mm -hmm. um and and but it was all that message it was like you know it was about paul loving um you know, being about other people or something. And I was like, ah, I yeah. just, that rubs me so wrong. Like <laughs> that's not necessarily what the life of love in Christ is yeah. for everyone. It It is being other centered a lot, but, yeah. but let's not put it in a way that, that makes people do it fakely in a mm-hmm. fake way. You know what I mean? Like that's yeah. kind of, this, this might sound arrogant. I don't know if you can, you can decide, but, I think as far as we, we have a calling to almost pursue what we, our desires more in that to show types, twos and others who, who might not have strong desires in them that, that it's okay, that God won't love you less if you stop serving in this ministry or if you're not giving all your all your available hours to to volunteer that it could actually right. not just be good and pleasing but it could also be fruitful to to you know start a podcast or to to you know read a, a, a you know lord of the rings or something that just doesn't seem yeah. helpful yeah directly connected to the bible right i think that's yeah. where that's like the thing you know we always have to do a Bible study or whatever. Like I'm, I'm working on that with, um, with uh, a group in our church right now. And I'm, and I'm going, what if, what if a social gathering is just a social gathering and it doesn't have to have, uh, you know, devotional content to it. Mm-hmm. What if getting together is enough? Whoa. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? I remember, um, meeting at this, uh, leadership network 
kind of event on developing missional communities. And uh, Daniel M., who's, who was in Edmonton and now is in, in Nashville working for, I think, um, Lifeway, uh, you know, said, you know, like, quoting Leslie Newbegin, I may be quoting it wrong, but like the, her- the hermeneutic of the gospel is, is, is the community or is the church, right? And when people are just gathering together, loving one another, enjoying each other's company, there's something about that that's like, oh, like that's, that's the community. That's that's the gospel, especially when it's people of like different backgrounds. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, so you go back to the enneagram because you you so you discover yeah. the enneagram, and you start to realize, oh, there's different ways to be, and that's okay. Oh yeah. Like, how did that change right. you? How did that change like your understanding of yourself? And then maybe you already answered that, but and and then also like how you decided to act and be in the world. Yeah. So I think like for me, I've always had like a lot of shame in how I look. So, so pe- people can't see me because yeah. this is a podcast. Right. You're a good looking guy. I mean, you know, <laughs> you're, you're fine. Why, so why is that? What? Well, it's actually more like that part of my life. Like I think it's more before Jesus was about like, okay, like how, like, like I'm trying to like, be cool and good looking and fashionable and all these oh, gotcha. things. Yeah. And it's, it's harder. And, and as a minority, I have to almost work at least twice as hard um, to, to kind of just be, be, be there. Right. Um, but so I remember, you know, years ago when I first was starting just as an intern or part-time you know, part-time worker in the church and one of the pastors said, like, you know, he, he's from the South. Um, and he said, you know where I'm from? Like, if people, like, dress like you, like, they won't pay attention to you. Like, they won't respect you. So, wow. you know, you should really, like, you know, be careful with how you dress. Um, and I was just like, what? Like, where? How is how is that? Like, you know, how is that? I don't know. Like, how is that true? Or how is that right? And and it, he'd always present me that 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 verse where paul talks about you know like we're free to do anything but if it causes people to stumble then then don't do it you know don't eat don't eat the food from that's you know right the idols for that that god or whatever and i was like oh okay like i have to like look and dress like a particular way so like i don't like get people to stumble and i think the enneagram just really helped me receive the tr- this truth that God has made me this way and that it's actually okay, if not good. Um, and in doing so, like my love for fashion, um, I now have decided, you know what, like I want to, I want to embrace fashion as a four, but I also want to embrace it as a one, which is, mm. uh, uh, you know, a, a relationship that fours strongly have and something that we can all grow from in terms of holiness and, and, and righteousness. And I got, okay, I'm going to focus on just buying ethical fashion. Um, whenever I start my Instagram back up, um, but prior when I had Instagram, I take a lot of photos of myself, but I was trying to really push like brands that were made sustainably and, and ethically. And I think that if more of us stopped buying fast fashion and, 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 and still like, yeah, bought, I'm not against like, capitalism or buying anything but if we bought stuff that actually helped people support their families in other countries and and 
and that that brings shalom that brings god's kingdom right to other people and so um that was just one way i think the enneagram kind of helped me realize you know what this is this okay and the pastor that that was mentoring me was was a two so authenticity and self-expression are like the last things that this person right thinks about it's all about helping people right which so that totally makes sense that he would go hey it helps people if you wear a tie right or whatever right like (laughs) that helps them right which is really what he's saying and you're going uh i'm gonna just unbutton that button or whatever it is (laughs) whatever it's called uh yeah okay so i want to distinguish because i know that there's some people who hear language like when god made me this way or when you know Mm -hmm. we say things like that that it they get a little nervous, right? Oh, because yeah. that language gets used in other contexts, yeah. right? You know, yeah. And they go, okay, that's not, you know, maybe we're justifying sin or something. And that's not what we're talking about, right? We're we're saying, no, you can embrace your being, and it's okay, um, without necessarily embracing. Sin. This goes back to the same thing with the desire, right? And maybe it's just me, but I feel like this is where we always end up in evangelical circles. Oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I think if, if I'm hearing you correctly, how do we like differentiate between like our good desires and maybe more of our sinful desires? Yeah, or the the difference between being like, okay, the way I am and uh, the way God wants me to be. Right. How is because there's a crossover there, right? So sometimes, yeah. like you embracing something like fashion and going, how can I? How can I? So that's such a brilliant example. How can I uh, forward the gospel of the restoration of all things in my fashion choices? Well, I can do it in a way that not only doesn't hurt the earth, but also helps people who are craftsmen who are who are putting these things together. Whatever, all those all those calculations. I don't know how you find those people. You have to tell me later, but, uh, but that, but like doing all that stuff and then, and then, um, so that actually embraces both yourself and the gospel. Yeah. Right. And that's different than if you were like, I don't know, making other kinds of choices that were just about expressing yourself right. in a way that, um, potentially harms others or, or like just giving other people yeah. the middle finger. You know what I'm saying? Like, like there's yeah. kind of, the, there's an attitude there or something. I guess I'm not sure where I'm going. I just know that I, I something I wrestle with. Keep- yeah. I think for me, and that's why I, I love the Enneagram because it, it, it gives a, a map, a roadmap to how we should be approaching things. So I said with my going four towards a one, if you know the Enneagram, mm-hmm. you know the picture, um, how, however much I can move towards a one in terms of thinking about holiness, um, which was a big part of my first or second conversion, thinking about like what I do matters. Whenever I make choices, I think based off of what I feel is like more right and towards righteousness and justice, I think, okay, those are, those are good things. Uh, whenever I'm doing things like more of a two, how can I actually help people? Um, that, that kind of assures me that I'm on the right path. And so for any Enneagram type, I think looking at those two lines, uh, which I call stretch and release, those lines can show people where are the ways that we can outgrow our own number, our own kind of fixation, our own blind spots. So take, for example, sevens 
who, who love joy and happiness and spontaneity and experience, those are all good things and they shouldn't stop pursuing them. But if we look at their lines of a one and a five towards growth, like if we realize that all those numbers reflect Jesus and the goal mm. is to be like Jesus, we can't just stop at our own number. Like fours can't just stop at self-expression and authenticity. They need to go towards humility, service, holiness, righteousness. Um, and the seven can't just be about experience and joy, but it also needs to be about holiness, uh, justice, as well as um, kind of contemplation of the five wisdom and knowledge. And I think if people are open to believing that all types are equal reflections of Jesus, then they will be more open to pursuing different expressions of, of their faith. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Yeah. And no, I think that does make sense. I think it's, uh, it, it, it is good. I just think we have to kind of think about it because I know that in some, mm. some parts of evangelical culture, at least in the United States, it's very, we get very nervous. Oh yeah. Well, I think just, you know, community is, is, is that much more important um, to kind of just bounce these ideas and things off of and spiritual direction. Yeah. I think is really important as well for someone to, to listen to go, okay, what's, what is God saying to you? Yeah. So it sounds like you've kind of uh, stepped into uh, some more spiritual practices because your church is, is all about those things, which is amazing. It sounds so yeah. great. Um, have you had like a, you know, it sounds like growing up was a little rough, but have you had any kind of like dark night of the soul or times when God felt far away that you had to wrestle with? Yeah, Dark Knight of Souls is always an interesting topic, and I should, and I know of it. I, I don't yeah. know it as well. I think I can. I, there are moments. They're not like these long two-year, three-year stints, but sure. I know currently, um, you know, something I've been. I won't go into too much detail, but uh, something I've been desiring in life a lot. I feel like God has kind of placed that in front of me, mm-hmm. and then kind of then t- took it away, or it just kind of disappeared, and I go like, oh, like what the heck God, like there's this thing in my heart that I desire and I got a glimpse of it and, and I, and I was so hopeful and then you just took it away. And what am I supposed to do with this? Like, what was the purpose of it? Like I was good before what on earth are you, are you leading me to? Yeah. And so, um, that's kind of, my main experience of yeah sure cool. yeah that's okay you're you're young so yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's coming but uh, <laughs> so bad i said to a, a kid one time that basically that same thing like my wife was like stop it don't do that don't don't ruin his faith right up front like, all right <laughs> anyway uh but yeah that's uh that's good so so okay, interesting. Well, here's the thing, man. A lot of what God does is he, the, he brings up those desires, right? Or he brings up those things that he's trying to take out of us through the the spiritual desert, mm. and uh, we end up we end up losing them sometimes in harsher ways than others, you know. Mm. But uh, that's why I asked that question because yeah. I want because I know that it happens, and, and I want to say to people um, that it's normal. Uh, is, yeah. is why I asked the question, but you, you know, so you're, like I said, you're kind of young, so you're kind of, you're, you're working 
you've got you got some life ahead of you. So it's, yeah, I could come back come tomorrow. I don't know. <laughs> right, it's true. Uh, cool. Well, let's so let's talk a little bit more about your writing because you started writing, which I think is is pretty yeah. pretty cool. And you wrote a book on the Enneagram, the Nine Kinds of yeah. Christians, right? The Nine Kinds of Christians. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us about that. Yeah, it's just a it's a short ebook. Um, I'm writing the full book right now, and it's it's made to be a evangelical approach to the Enneagram, which I think right now it's mainly either secular people or more contemplatives um, from yeah, or or more from lib- progressive backgrounds. And I want to talk one more about mm-hmm. the Enneagram from evangelically, and specifically talking about. Um, ministry and leadership. And so one of the joys that I've experienced is reading um, books and watching short documentaries on Christian leaders and then thinking about their Enneagram type and how awesome and beautiful they are, but also how different they are from other people. And so in in my f- full book, I'll be you know talking about how maybe Billy Graham as a three, as awesome as he was in reflection of his ministry thought, you know, I probably should have, I would have prayed more, read the scriptures more and not traveled as much. Mm -hmm. And to me, I see that as a clear three intentionally moving towards the nine in, in a healthy, in a healthy way. And when I think of the nine, I think of Eugene Peterson, who is just, faithful, always talking about abiding in Jesus. Yeah. And I think, man, like what if Eugene Peterson and Billy Graham had a ministry together? Yeah, right. Wow. Oh, how crazy would that be, you know? And, <laughs> and so I want to just tell people, you know, that every type of the Enneagram, one to nine, are beautiful and express God's love differently and can have an impact on the world uniquely that the other types may not be able to. Right. Um, and you don't have to look like everybody else, right? Like, so if you were trying to be like your two mentor, right? Right. That's not going to work out very well for oh, you. Yeah. You're going to feel it. And that, cause actually two is where fours go in stress. Right. So, right. Yeah. so that is going to be really hard on you. I know I've yeah. tried. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so interesting. I love that. I love that point. Uh, here's the thing for you and me as fours, we're just going to get weirder, <laughs> right? More unique. Yeah, that's one. That's a nicer way to put it. But <laughs> we we all know what everybody else is going to say about us. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Oh, I love that. Okay, so you're writing about about okay, a neogram, yeah. and I love that. We need to be encouraged to embrace who we are in Christ. I think that's an essential part of the spiritual journey. Mm-hmm. Um, so, friends, you can get Ryan's book or uh, the, the ebook. Um, at ryanlui.com. That's L-U-I, ryanlui.com at nine kinds, number nine kinds. Yeah, so, yeah, or forward slash or, yeah, I forget what slash it is, but nine kinds. Or yeah. you can just go straight to my website and then you just click the link. Yeah, right there. Or it's also in the show notes at halfwaytherepodcast.com. Yeah. Cool. Free ebook, um, really just to, 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 yeah, encourage people to be themselves, but also to just see God's beauty in, in everyone. And I think that unity that Jesus prays about um, can be um, moved forward 
by the by the Enneagram. Not fully, but I think the Enneagram can really help towards church unity, uh, definitely in a time when we need it. Well, it helps us accept ourselves and others. Yeah. And that is super powerful. So thanks for sharing just a little bit of your story, Ryan. Um, anything you want to leave us with? To whoever is listening, like the one thing that I just want to tell them is, you know, whoever God has made you to be, um, own it and know that God is pleased with you and has made you uh, uniquely um, for his good pleasure and for his purposes on on earth. And so uh, keep listening to Eric as he um, podcasts and interviews different people and we can learn from all these different people about the spiritual life and, and, and what beauty looks like when we journey with God to God. Amen. I love that. Ryan, thank you so much for sharing that. Friends, you can find Ryan at RyanLouis.com. Again, that's R-Y-A-N-L-U-I.com. And uh, you'll find links in half at HalfwayTherePodcast.com in the show notes. Ryan, thanks for being here, brother. Hey, my pleasure, Eric. Yeah, really. It was good talking to you. Thank you.